What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 157 of The VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. Uh, coming at you on a Friday morning. Uh, I look slightly refreshed. I'm sick again. Afternoon. Again. Oh, yeah, it is afternoon. Okay, okay. I'm not that fresh. I'm not that fresh then. Um, we're going to get straight into it today because we've only got a few subjects, but there's a lot to talk about in these subjects. So a couple of things we're going to go through is... Last night, the Australian government had a like a vaccine education session in the Senate where essentially a bunch of senators could ask questions to representatives from Pfizer, Moderna, but also the TGA about the vaccines and the vaccine rollout more specifically. Um, I took heaps of notes, but I'm just only going to go through the key things that I took out of that session because it's not like a trial or anything like that. Not super grilling these people, but they did get some interesting answers out of them regardless. Uh, Alex is going to do a bit of a follow-up from one of last week's stories into some government spending. So there's a few different areas in that that we want to really dive into. I want to give, Alex, you just a couple of headlines too without notice. Now, we're not going to talk about these stories unless you've got any sort of anecdotes mm-hmm. that you would like to. But there's two little quick-fire stories that I just thought were quite funny, which the viewers and listeners can go and look up themselves if they choose to. So the first one is, uh, takes one to no one. Lizzo gets done for fat shaming her backup dancers. Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah. So can you, you do the story and I'll tell you my, I'll tell you what I think. Oh, no, that's, that's as far as I'm going. That's as far as I'm going. She's just been done, uh, by her, uh, ex backup dancers for fat shaming and also sexual harassment. The sexual harassment, well, can I, I want to talk about it. Okay, cool. Apparently... Lizzo made her backup dancers put bananas inside themselves and have other dancers eat it out of them. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think this whole thing is fake. Why Lizzo do you... doesn't know what a banana is, dude. <laughs> <laughs> never had a banana, man. She's never eaten a banana. She's never eaten a banana. <laughs> it's funny, but do you know what's funny? Just funny. I what? used that joke today. Oh, did you? <laughs> and they looked at me like I was a pig. And I was like... What about the perpetrator of the crime that I just joked about? Yeah, yeah. Frown upon that, not I, the joke that I made. I hope that this is a sign of the times and we can move past the, like, you know, pretending fat people are healthy and beautiful thing. Like, I hope that's going to be thrown into the past now, into the uh, dumpster of history where it belongs. Um, any further comment on that before I move on to the next one? No, that, oh, I found it interesting that on the news when they're talking about it, they're still quite happy to play music. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, they don't really go around playing like old uh, Bill Cosby Michael clips Jackson. on TV anymore. Well, actually, yeah. Michael Jackson still got bangers. Maybe you just have to be a musician, not like a an actor. Um, second one. Did you know Justin Trudeau has been voted out of his house by his wife? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As she has filed for yeah. divorce. So Justin Trudeau, soon to be ex-wife, is officially the smartest Canadian that there is in that country. That is all I have on, on those. That's uh, if, Have you got any comment on, on those particular stories? The feeling I had, my, my conspiratorial uh, hat went on, and it that divorce... Now, look, people get divorced all the time, okay? Yeah. So, look, this, may, this could be an absolute stretch. It probably is an absolute stretch, mm-hmm. but I'm just telling you the feeling I had. I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's similar to the Bill and Melinda Gates breakup. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just two, like, two couples that are caught up in this crazy, powerful, mm-hmm. earth-changing uh, event. Conspiracy. Where maybe 
the women are smart enough to realize uh, I don't want to be a part of this. This is crazy. I'm out. Do you know what's really interesting too? Because I thought about this a little bit too, but now that you mentioned your conspiratorial thoughts on it, don't you find it interesting how this happened just after the new laws came in in Canada, the censorship laws? So now social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram have actually removed all news from Canadian oh, social media. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Fun fact. Great time to do it. Yeah. So maybe this maybe this has been like a, the divorce has been boiling over for a while and maybe he's like, no, no, to save embarrassment, got to get these laws through first so then I can you can sort of run off into the good night and his Let me money. change these laws so we can get divorced. Yeah, but I also wonder too if the divorce is because of things she has learned about him. So my next thought is like, oh, I is agree. This, yeah. yeah, is this going to end up being like a Philip Schofield situation where he's been cheating on her with underage boys, and like the next thing he's got to do is like get the divorce and then come out as gay to try to cover that up as well. But well, there's any place to do it. It's Canada. Canada's the place yeah. where you get away with that. Yeah. yeah, but that's not where my brain went. I was just like, well, he's he's trying to cripple the world that you know these women are smart enough to go like nah i, I don't want to be any, i don't want to have any part of this yeah maybe she just thinks uh, he's a dickhead <laughs> i want to mention something something i've noticed that's popped back up mm. obviously all this trump impeachment stuff and to me it's all like it's it's such a nothing story but the fact that trump has been in the news cycle so hard again yep. makes you realize a how pathetic the news is and B, like the extreme levels that the Democrats are doing to try. So they're trying, they are trying to replicate the 2020 victory yep. um, by not what Joe says, but what Trump is reported yeah. to do. Their election strategy is at least I'm not the other guy. Yeah. And it's, in, it's interesting yeah. to see you say that too, because I saw someone tweeted up. A, an interesting time frame from the last few indictments because all these indictments end up relating to the same thing so yeah. this this will be this was really interesting i found so on the 7th of june the fbi releases documents to congress alleging the bidens took 10 million dollar uh, sorry took a 10 million dollar bribe from burisma burisma is the ukrainian energy company that hunter biden was on the board of on june 8 the next day Jack Smith indicts Trump in Mar-a-Lago's documents case. So the next day. Then, on the 26th of July, Hunter Biden goes to court and rejects a sweetheart plea deal, which we covered on the show a few weeks ago. After it was revealed, the DOJ tried to give him blanket immunity from future prosecutions. Mm. The next day, July 27, Jack Smith adds more charges for, the, for Trump in the Mar-a-Lago case. So the next day again. And then finally, July 31st, Hunter Biden's former business partner testifies to Congress that Joe Biden was on over 20 calls with his son's business partners and that Burisma executives pressured them to fire the prosecutor. That's the Ukraine prosecutor I mentioned again last week. The next day, 1st of August, Jack Smith indicts Trump again for January 6th. It's uh, there a is clear weaponization of the Department of Justice. Can you move to your right? Like, That's my three... right. Yeah, well, no, no, just sent, like, you're not centred in the shot. So I'm not centred to you. I'm not centred to you. I'm centred to the viewers because of the shape of the window. So you oh, just need to deal with it. My OCD. Okay. Uh, there was another thing that came out on the exact same day 
that this latest indictment happened, mm-hmm. which no one has mentioned, which is the US had their credit downgraded. Yeah. From AAA to AA plus. Yeah. Last time this happened was in 2011, and it's a really, really, really bad... Mm-hmm. It's a really bad thing. So it basically said... Like, I thought it was funny because I got an email from a credit score company saying, like, has your credit score changed? And then, boom, I, I, I found, oh, America's has. Right. So what it means is that you're now not as solid in terms of investment into your country. So a separate company, I forgot what the company's called that, that does the ratings. Yep. And I watched an interview with the guy and he said it's basically about, uh, not pol- he didn't say political turmoil, but what he basically said was the rating was downgraded because of the inability for the American government to sort its problems in a yep. timely manner. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got all that happening at the same time as... And I can't remember if we spoke about it on the show. Uh, I don't think we did last week. Maybe we, you and I have spoken about it during the week. Where the president of Eritrea in Africa had a meeting with, uh, I think, the BRICS nations, some of the BRICS representatives, and Putin was there, yeah. talking about how we need to distance ourselves from the US dollar. The US dollar is doing all this damage. The Americans mm-hmm. are allowed to enforce all this influence on us. There's, we've got no control. We're too small a player. Yep. And the camera cuts to Putin and he grins, basically like, oh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a plan. Yeah. Yep. And now they've been downgraded. So that I think those two things are, uh, are pretty important. There's a lot now, going on in Africa at the moment too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the Niger, uh, the, uh, the coup that happened, I, I was doing a little bit more research on that. Yeah. It seems to be a lot around the deals that French companies have done for resources and minerals. It's also a French government, yeah. Yeah, well, where it looks like they've done a deal where they will only pay 5% of, like, for the minerals yeah. and sell it at absorbent prices. And the the military is basically like, we can't pay our bills and you've got these shit deals. Well, we're just yeah. going to overtake the government and we're going to block any of that and you're going to have to negotiate a real deal. I saw a statistic the other day that said that because because so France has heaps of nuclear power plants, they use a lot of nuclear energy. And I think it was something like 60 to 65 percent of their uranium they source from Niger. And to put that in contrast, uh, in Niger, 85 percent of citizens do not have access to electricity. Oh, wow. So another like. This is one of the things which this is seems to be a bit of a deep undercurrent in the world that never gets spoken about in Western media because of, you know, they want the status quo to stay the same. And if I, again, had to put on my tinfoil hat about it, I think this is also one of the key reasons behind the Western nation's big uh, climate emergency agenda. Because essentially what it boils down to is this. For decades and decades and decades, Western nations have been using and abusing Africa for its resources, its cheap labor, um, you know, testing ground for medications. And you can only do that when a country is poor. The International Monetary Fund has been into a lot of African nations, gave them loans that they're never going to be able to pay back, jacked up the interest rate to permanently indebt those nations to the International Monetary Fund. And essentially what I think the climate agenda angle is 
is so we're all being told in western nations that we need to reduce our power usage because it's emitting too many emissions well that obviously climate is a is a global problem so in other words that means that they want all of these poor third world countries to never be able to use the power that we used to become first world nations they want them yeah. to live in poverty forever because they can continue to exploit those countries and yeah. the coup that happened in niger is yeah it's a military coup and i believe that the uh either president or prime minister whatever the head honcho's name is over there who was ousted was actually put basically put in there by the french and he has right. been making a lot of governmental decisions which were very favorable to the french government sure. so there's uh, we've been pronouncing it out. incorrectly the whole time is it niger <clears throat> probably there we go. Well, we've put them both out there now, so we've hedged our bets. Yeah, there you go. Now, talking about government spending, when mm. last week on the show we spoke about that Labor housing bill that was going to give $10 billion, in quotations, give $10 billion to support uh, social housing. social and affordable housing, yeah. Which we did an investigation in and realised that no, what they're actually going to do is borrow ten billion dollars, give that ten billion dollars to Peter Costello in his privately owned investment fund, mm-hmm. where he would take a a cut of of whatever happens, win, lose, or draw, and the, only the profits would be spent on on uh, building low cost housing. So it could build no houses, yeah, right? You, which also you could low- borrow ten billion. Dollars. And just a reminder, low cost has no definition in the bill. So yeah, yeah. When I was investigating it, what piqued my interest the most? I was like, oh, okay. So Peter Costello is—I think he's Australia's longest-running uh, treasurer. Treasurer, yeah. And I know he's held in very high regard. Obviously, he worked with John Howard, and John Howard has got a pretty good name in, in politics. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'll just do a little bit of reading. So I was a bit alarmed when I found out that that company, what we spoke about last show, ECG Financial Proprietary Limited, was the company that was going to get this $10 billion. Now, at first I was like, maybe I've just got this completely wrong. Maybe this, it seems too crazy for it to be be real. Mm -hmm. Then they had, I was watching Sunrise the other day, and they had one of the liberal ministers on and literally outlined exactly exactly what we said but with more details so they right. said the 10 billion dollars is going to cost us 400 million dollars to borrow mm-hmm. per year which is right because our current interest rate is 4.1 percent so yep. it actually costs 410 million dollars per year just mm-hmm. on interest to service the loan yeah and then she also confirmed what costello was going to get mm-hmm. now they didn't name him they just said the company, like they said in management fees. Yeah, yeah. They said, and we're going to have to spend an additional $100 million on management fees. So it was 1%. Remember last week, we we're like, oh, I don't know if it's 0.1% or it's 1%. Yeah. So that just confirmed it. Like, that's, it's outrageous. So $500 million passes through that system yeah. before anything happens. Yep. And it's profits to someone. $500 million in profits to someone. Well, Whether... the four hundred is argued that it's not; it's an it's just an inflationary thing, because you're borrowing from a like a central bank. Mm-hmm. But the one hundred million dollars is going to ECG Financial Proprietary Limited. Mm-hmm. Whether they lose or they win, 
Yeah. That's what they get. And I had heard the statistic that over the last 12 months, that fund was behind, not... 3.9%. There you go. So that means not one house gets built. Not one dollar has been allocated to social housing. Yep. But he still makes $100 million. Yeah. And just to confirm too, for anyone who didn't hear the show the other week, the way that the bill works is that it will only start building houses when the profit from that $10 billion that's been invested comes through and hits a, a buffer of $500 million profit. So it has to get to that $500 million profit mark first before they can even get the first $500 million out to spend on housing. Yeah. Okay. Now, I tried to do... I tried to get some more information about this fund and I couldn't yep. find anything. Okay. But what I also found out as part of my research is that Costello is also in charge of a federal, another federal fund called the Future Fund. Right. Actually, before I show that part of the Future Fund, I really should show you this. Let me do this first. Now, the Future... F- when I was trying to rationalise it in my brain, it kind of makes sense that... It kind of makes sense to me that you would want... Uh, you want someone, sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once and I'm failing miserably. Okay. That at the end of the day, you need someone with some skills yep. to to invest your fund. And it logically makes sense to grab taxpayer money and instead of spending it, how about we just move it? Let's increase some, like, let's build some, like, put some investment into local communities. And with the return on that, then we can spend it. It's like mm-hmm. how an endowment, endowment works. So let's yep. say very rich people that went to a university, when they die, they can actually set up an endowment for that university which the the function is the same so the money gets invested and the profits the the profits on the, on, on that investment get used to run whatever thing yeah okay so i found that he was in charge of the future fund and this thing i just want to read now again this is wikipedia so take it with a grain of salt mm-hmm. but i just found this part interesting and i'll get into some more detail that's more formalized so, the Future Fund is an independently managed sovereign wealth fund established in 2006 to strengthen the Australian government's long-term financial position by making provision for unfunded superannuation liabilities for politicians and other public servants that will become payable during a period when an ageing population is likely to place significant pressure on Commonwealth's finances. As of wow. July 2023, the fund has $135.8 billion under asset. Hold on. Can so, you just Jason, read that louder can, for the people at the back? I'll read the so Read it again. It's a long, the read Future Fund is an independently managed sovereign wealth fund established in 2006 to strengthen the Australian government's long-term financial position by making provision for unfunded superannuation liabilities for politicians and other public servants that will become payable during a period when an aging population is likely to place significant pressure on the Commonwealth's finances. Wow. Comments? Comments? Well, it doesn't seem all that sovereign when it's just for a select few people who work in the public service. Uh, that's my first comment. My second comment is I have never heard of this before. I've heard of the term, like, future fund. I've never had it actually described as such. 
And like you said, it is Wikipedia, so maybe we do need to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. And anyone who's out there who's listening, who knows more about this than we do, and if it is wrong, please put it in the comments below. But if it is correct, it's pretty staggering, where it's essentially saying that due to our aging population, and we hear about this stuff all the time, and there's certain nations all around the world who are looking at putting up the retirement age because uh, it's a giant Ponzi scheme. The, the retirement pension yeah. is a giant Ponzi scheme. Uh, <clears throat> it's paid into by the young workers, and it's paid out to the elderly who have retired. And the whole point of it is, as a young worker, when you pay into it, the hope is that when you're old enough to retire, there'll be enough young people paying into it to, to uh, pay for your pension as well. And it's not happening, which is why they're looking at putting retirement ages up all around the world. This looks like it is purely set up using Australian taxpayer funds, not just the funds of politicians and public servants, all of us, to literally protect the pensions of politicians and public services. So when it gets to a point yeah, when... The people... Yeah, when, so when you and I are told that there is no pension money for us, the police yeah, will still, like, but, the, any retired prime minister will still be getting their $300,000 a year. We, and the crazy thing to me is the people that are designing the system that we all have to live by, i.e., in, like authorizing these superannuation increases on all the working people yep. the people that create the policies they've built their own parachute here that's right that's right so they don't have that says to me that they don't even have to live by the rules they created yeah, yeah. for us that's wild okay now it does say here unlike unlike the uh house housing fund this one is a government-owned corporation okay mm -hmm. so that uh, actually I kind of like that as opposed yeah. to the external thing. Yep. But the key people, so the uh, Peter Costello is the chairman <coughs> of that. So right. he's a he's not a politician anymore. No. But somehow he's the chairman of this government-owned corporation. Yeah, and like the generally the idea of something that is government-owned being a positive thing is because it's not private sector, therefore profit is not the motive. But mm -hmm profit is the motive with this it's 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 the same setup as a normal company just with different different characters the profit is yeah, for I the just, politicians and public servants okay I, w I want to read some just some key points in here as well for, for a start uh in terms of performance in for the financial year 2020 they lost a billion dollars uh, their income was minus $1.4 billion. Their total assets ha uh, went up to $162 billion which means their net position is $161 billion. That employs 201 people. Now, there was something... Okay, so the investment mandate for the Future Fund is to target a benchmark return of at least the consumer price index or plus 4 to 5% per annum over long term while taking an acceptable but not excessive level of risk. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, I would argue that it would be much cheaper and easier to put, uh, what did it start with, $135 billion mm -hmm. into the top 200 companies in Australia, yeah. which is our index. Don't trade at all that's and right. you would get, that's the market index. That's right. Put it in the index. So this is what I think yeah, everyone's talking about, the US um, government being like all these senators and everything getting done for insider trading. Mm -hmm. I, I think you shouldn't ban them from trading 
I think you should, but there should be provisions. If you're in government and therefore influential, you should only be allowed to invest in the overall index, which is a great barometer of the total success of your country. Yeah, right? yeah, I, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. So the Future Board is currently also responsible for five other sovereign wealth funds, Building Australia Fund, Disability Care Australia Fund, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Sea Future Fund, uh, Medical Research Future Fund, right? So it's got all the details here. Uh... So some of the guardians, uh, one of the names that was interesting, which is not there for some reason, blah, blah, blah. blah. Okay, this is a, another thing that was interesting. On, on the 11th of September, 2004, the federal treasurer, Peter Costello, announced that the future fund would establish following the 2004 federal election. Um, it received royal assent on the 23rd of March, 2006. And on May 5th, 2006, $18 billion derived from government surpluses as well as income from the sale of a third of Telstra. Because remember, Telstra used to be public, uh, publicly owned. Yeah. Privately owned. Sorry, pub, public money. It used to be... Yeah. Publicly owned. It got privatised when they sold it off. Yeah. Um, these contributions and transferred increased the fund over to $50 billion by the end of 06, 07. So isn't it nice? You started the fund... <laughs> It's actually more ridiculous now that I read it for the second time. You started, you started the fund with eighteen billion, and in the first year, you got it to fifty billion. But that's not through the performance. No, that's from, from selling, selling your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in March two thousand seven, the opposition Labor Party announced it would withdraw two point seven billion from the future fund to finance the national broadband network. Uh, how much did the broadband network cost us in the end? I thought it was like $580 and a bag of potato chips. So I think we're at $150 billion and it's still not finished. Yeah. Uh, an initiative to install broadband internet infrastructure across Australia, it, it, if it won the 2007 election, the proposed prompted government ministers to proclaim the Labor intended to raid the future fund for their own means. You know, I would argue that like you've sold a public fund, you should use it for a public... <laughs> Thing. Don't so. don't raid our future fund. That's for our needs, for your own needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I, okay. I'm so flabbergasted by this information because this is news to me that I just actually tip my drink it's, over. <laughs> it's this is crazy, right? In May 2007, it was revealed that a Chicago-based Northern Trust Corporation had won a competitive tender process to manage the fund. Rick Waddle, uh, president of the chief uh, and chief operating officer, Northern Trust indicated that Australian companies did not have the expertise to manage the future fund. Northern Trust stood to collect $30 million in annual fees. Controversy, well, there you go, $30 million in fees, and we're going to give $100 million to um, fees to... Yeah, but it, d- it depends on the size of the fund, doesn't it? But also inflationary, like the money's halved in price in that time. Yeah. Australian National Finance uh, Secretary Paul Schroeder estimated that around $100 will be lost when the US company starts... Uh, the Northern Trust was linked to the Enron scandal, which is, oh. that's exactly what you want. But anyway, it got blocked, so that's good. Okay, so we're going to mm-hmm. run here in Australia. Uh, that was all good. Uh, the fund became a member of the International Forum of Sovereign Wealth Funds and signed up to the Santiago Principles on Best Practices for Managing Sovereign Wealth Funds. As a member, it publishes how it adopts the enablements of principles within its governance procedures. Okay, that sounds fine. But... Who the fuck reads these things? Mm. I do, right? So let me show you what I found interesting. Or sorry, have you got anything that you, have you got any comments about the stuff that was in that report? 
Uh, look, not really. Uh, it's at face value, it doesn't look great, does it? That's my first no. thought. Um, and I get very, very concerned when you create an entity called the Sovereign Wealth Fund, which we know how important language is. So you create this thing, you call it a Sovereign Wealth Fund, so every Australian citizen assumes it's for the good of us all, when it's only for the good of a few. And then that means we don't riot when you sell publicly owned assets to fund the Sovereign Wealth Fund. And then you sign up with like international globalist bodies of a bunch of countries' sovereign wealth funds all doing the same scam on their own people. And they've got like their own Santiago principles. Like Santiago, yeah. that's like a Spanish name, right? How good yeah, Spain's economy going? Wales vagina. Yeah, how good is Spain's economy going? Yeah. I don't know well, many yeah. s- any nations that speak Espanol that are exactly killing it on the financial scene at the moment. Yeah, it's funny. There was actually a study that talked about how uh, Latin countries tend to fare poorly compared to non-Latin countries financially. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Too busy being sexy instead of uh, being financially literate. Yeah, and mysterious. <laughs> okay, so uh, shout out to all our uh, Latin uh, viewers. Okay, yeah, now a bunch of sexy idiots. I brought up the Future <laughs> Fund. I went to the official website and I found the 2023 Future Fund uh, document, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to go through some of the stuff here because some of the stuff to me was quite surprising. Yeah. The, the Board of Guardians today... Now, what a cool name. The Board of Guardians. You're a guardian of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. Yeah. Sounds uh, like to, a dragon release... sitting on top of a pile of gold. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, t- today releases portfolio update for the 31st of March, 2023. Future Fund delivers positive 12-month return in volatile markets with sharply rising interest rates. Fund delivers 10-year return of 9.1% against a target return of 6.8%. Mm-hmm. So that sounds great. The total uh, FUM, which is funds under management, exceeds $250 billion. I like how they didn't quote the actual figure. That's sus. But... Yeah, it exceeds it. It could be a thousand yeah. billion kajillion dollars. Yeah, or it might be $250 billion and $1. Mm. Increased focus on fund manager skill as higher inflation and rates make market returns less reliable. Okay, so Peter Costello says high inflation, sharp interest rate, sharp interest rate rises that began in 2022 and continued in 23 have combined to build uncertainty and volatility into our global markets. Developed economies have continued to raise rates in an attempt to control inflation, reversing calls on the emergency low rates and liquidity of previous years. Since April last year, the Fed fund rate has gone from almost zero to 5%. In Australia, the cash rate has risen from 0.1% to 3.6% over the same period. It's now 4.1%. Mm-hmm. Uh, the effects on the high rates are, pay, are playing out in different ways across different markets around the world, making investment conditions unpredictable. The ASX 200 was flat with a 0.1% return, including dividends, for the 12 months uh, ending March, and the S&P 500 was down 7.7% against the backdrop of the future fund, which delivered a positive 1.1% return over 12 months. So that that's interesting because I, I just said before, just use the index, right? Just use yeah. the index, use the index. Yeah. They haven't used the index and they've outperformed it, which I, that's interesting. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Mm. The positive returns achieved in the second half of 2022 continue with a 3.4% gain, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Over the past decade, the Future Fund was delivered an annual return of 9.1% against the target of 
Now, I had reached out to some hedge fund people because I want to know if the 9.1 includes management fees right, or not. Yeah. I don't think they do. I remember when I had a managed share fund before, the mm-hmm. figure they quoted me was the uh, in exclusive of management fees. So I got a return yeah. of 8%. It actually Less turned fees. out to only be 5% because yeah. the fees come out. All right. I so also I, wonder if I that return includes the sale of public assets into yeah, the Yeah, I don't fund. think we've got anything left to sell. Uh, the fund has grown to its That's present 200... Oh, here we go. Okay. Since 2006, with an additional contribution of $60 billion, the fund has grown to its present $202 billion at the end of March. Do you, do you see a problem there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's $50 billion short of what it says that it is. <laughs> I only just noticed that. It's like a fact check. And, and what's this? What's an initial contribution of sixty billion? It's just a startup. They put they threw wow. sixty billion in the beginning. Uh, while some central banks have slowly or temporarily paused the pace of interest rate increases, it is unlikely the cycle of raising rates to control inflation is finished. Fiscal policy is still accommodative to the most developed countries. Productivity growth is low or non-existent. The board continues to focus on ensuring the portfolios are resilient to the range of scenarios while delivering attractive risk-adjusted returns. We expect that real returns to investors with the context of significant inflation will be substantially below those of recent years. I want to know who gets the return. Who are the investors that we're talking about? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. That's really interesting. <laughs> right? It sounds very piggy bank, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now... Here is what gets me wild. All right. So here is the performance of the fund. Mm-hmm. Um, rough figures there. Everything kind of looks fine. Right. It looks like it's a pretty good performing fund. Asset allocation is what I find interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for, for audio listeners, I'll try to read it out. So the asset class um, basically talks about how what percentage of the fund they're using um, and well, how many millions of dollars that's worth, all right? Mm-hmm. So this is in Australian equities. So Australian-based equities is one of, is the asset class. Yeah. Um, we have 8.8% of the fund is here in Australia in equities, yeah. which sounds low to me. Yeah. Okay. Now, global equities have it's been split into two. Emerging markets is 5.9%. So a little bit less than what we have here at home, but developed markets, 17%. Mm. Okay. So almost a lion's share of that fund is invested in developed markets. That'll be Europe. That'll be America. Yeah. So literally double the amount of money that this essentially sovereign wealth fund is using to invest in and therefore drive productivity in Australian companies is being invested in overseas developed nations. Yep. So that sounds pretty bad too, doesn't it? That's pretty bad. All right. Oh, if you want returns, uh, I hope that just invest in Pfizer and Moderna. That'd be right. Well, okay. Well, so you're right. If you've got to think at the end of the day, it's all about getting a return. So whatever's going to get you the best return for the fund, that's what you should be doing. But it would just be nice, I guess, if we could try to build those returns here within Australia as opposed to just giving it to someone else. All right? Yeah. Because one kind of equals the other, right? If you had the investment here to do it, we could do it better. Therefore, our return would be bigger. It but also, if you don't, 
Yeah, it also leads to a lot of corruption opportunities when you've got an Australian sovereign wealth fund, which the performance of which will directly affect our uh, politicians and lawmakers at the moment who need to invest in certain things to get better returns, who might talk to their... I mean, I'm sure Peter Costello knows some people in the government. He's been around for a while. You know, might get a bit of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, hey, what should we invest in next? What policies are going to be rolled out next that we can, you know, shore up the sovereign wealth fund? Like, Mm. it's it's very dicey. Very dicey indeed. So the next thing is private equity. I actually don't know what private equity is. I don't know if that's like private deals done uh, buying maybe startup businesses. I don't, I'm not actually 100% sure of that. Um, and it's quite a large, it's 16.4% yeah. of the fund. Uh, infrastructure and timberland, 9.4%. Debt securities, uh, 8.2%. Cash, 10.6%. But here's the one that got me. Alternatives. Alternatives are 17.1%, which is the biggest one. So the biggest capital allocation of, the, of, this, of this fund was in a thing called alternatives. What is that? What's mean? alternatives? Don't know. I have no idea. I can't find out. I've asked hedge fund guys. They can't tell me. Okay. Uh, now, uh, let's look at... Here's another one, the Medical Research Future Fund. And I'll just read the highlights. Alternatives, 16%. Cash, 42%. And uh, debt security is 12%. Everything else basically in the fives. Yeah, yeah. Only 3.7% in Australian equities. And we saw that during the pandemic. How many times have I railed about the fact that Australian companies were trying to manufacture and get approval for COVID um, response products, vaccines, Mm -hmm. rats, etc., and all of like none of them got approved in Australia. Every all of them who are still selling got approvals overseas, but they also got no government funding. Yeah, mm. yeah. The overseas ones probably did. Here's another one. Uh, this is the uh, I think this is the Aboriginal Torres Strait Island something something fund. Uh, Australian equities four point six percent. Debt securities sixteen percent. Alternatives, 21.8 and cash, 25. So these, I just want to say, that it, it almost feels to me like they don't care as much about these funds mm. because they've got such large, large ca- uh, cash reserves. Cash reserves. Whereas, yeah. whereas the main fund, the main future fund, has very little cash. Mm. Now, you're supposed to have cash in a volatile market. You're supposed to have cash so you can buy opportunities, of course. basically. Okay. Um, here's the future drought fund allocation. Uh, debt security of oh, 4.4% in Australian equities. Mm-hmm. Debt security 16%. I'm just reading the high ones. Anything that I don't read is under 10%. Yeah. Cash 24% or just 24.8%. Mm-hmm. Alternatives 22%. Yeah. All right. Here's another one. Alternatives 22%. So tell me, like that. Is there anywhere that, in that document that details what an alternative is? Nope. I couldn't find it. Yeah, right. I can find it. Interesting, huh? Hmm. What's an alternative? What's an alternative um, investment strategy? And why is it packaged in alternative? Crypto? Have they just put it all on Dogecoin? <laughs> Dude, they could have. They could have done that. Wow. That's that's fascinating, hey? 
So if anyone knows, please reach out or comment below. Um, I really, really, really want to know. I was very... Look, I was alarmed. I was alarmed that private companies get to absolutely milk these... these uh, The public teat. Basic, yeah, the public teat. Mm. And I'm even more concerned that even the wording of that, like I said, the, the shareholders involved. Who are the shareholders of the Sovereign Wealth Fund? That should be mm, all of us. Yeah. But are we using it? I haven't heard of us tapping into the Sovereign Wealth Fund. I mean, the NBN makes sense. Let's use it for a public service. Let's let's create it. Now, the NBN sucked and it was done wrong, but I can at least argue that the money, it makes sense to use the money on something that we all benefit from. Yeah, well, I mean, Jared Rennick's been screaming this from the mountaintops for the last two years, where... Like, if you want to really put downward pressure on inflation, you need to increase productivity. So government spending should be pointed towards building infrastructure, which is going to increase productivity and efficiency in the country. We're not doing that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, look at Dan Andrews, just cancelling infrastructure project after infrastructure project after promising them to win an election and just paying a couple billion here and there just to get out of those contracts in the first place. Like... You know, look at the the healthcare system. So, how much how much money did we spend on healthcare in the last three years? And we talked about trying to protect hospitals. Like, remember that during COVID, you were told to stay home to protect hospitals, not hospitals protect you when you get sick. You were told you had to stay home and change your whole life to protect the hospital because it was woefully inadequate. What investment have we put into hospitals? The best we got for hospitals was putting awnings in the car parks. Yeah. That's the best that we did. China built a hospital in two weeks. Yep. Right at the start of the pandemic, the best we could do was a shade cover out the front. I literally got a... Um, I was messaging a friend of mine before who is a paramedic, and I was, ta- I was talking to her about my tonsillitis, and she was just giving me some info on that. Anyway, and... Um, I just said, oh, like, you know, why does our medical system suck so bad? Oh, the reason for that comment was because I just found out from the hospital that to get my tonsils removed, I've been classified as a category three, which means I have a two-year wait to get my first appointment, and then it's probably going to be at least a year's wait to get the surgery. So I may have to explore the idea of getting it done privately and pay cash for it, which is money I can't afford at the moment. So if anyone wants to uh, sponsor the removal of my tonsils, if they want me to keep the show going so I can speak, you just throw some money my way. Um, but I said, oh, you know, why does our medical system suck so bad? And she goes, I don't know, as I sit here on the ramp with a lady who's had a stroke. Mm. So she talks to me all the time about the ramping problems and the ramping problems getting worse. And I well, just said to her, I said... I, I also, I spoke to a nurse at, at my gym and, and I was like, oh, uh, you know, what's, how's work been? She goes, like, busier than ever. And then I spoke to a doctor today. He's, he's a new doctor, very young guy. Yep. Just last time I spoke to him, he was studying. Uh, he's now since started working. And he's like, we're just having people leave left, right. And I'm like, why are people leaving? And he goes, I think it's just not what you're told it's going to be. Yeah. Like it's extremely long hours. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously people dying and, you know, which is part of the job, but just the expectation that people have going into it, that it's going to be this like functioning uh, business it's just and not it's just not and and i said to her too i said i feel sorry for the hospital workers and the paramedics every single day because i i know what the problem is like during covid um and still now 
uh, well, so sorry. During COVID, they handed out all these ex- all this extra money to incentivize GPs. Then they just took the money away, and now all of a sudden, overnight, all these GPs are like, "Oh, we can't afford to practice anymore, so we're going to have to get rid of bulk billing." So now all of a sudden, you've got a whole bunch of doctors that are charging seventy dollars per, you know, ten minute appointment, which a lot of people in a cost of living crunch can't afford. So what do they do? They go to the emergency room. At the same time, you've also got a whole bunch of doctors, and I know this because the doctor that I used to go to is in the same boat, who still will not see you or your child if you're exhibiting respiratory symptoms without a negative COVID test. So what do we do? We go to the to the emergency room. If it's the kids, we, it's our only choice. We've got to take them up mm. there. So we... What do, will they take a rat test or only PCR? Oh, they'll take rat tests, but who's got rat tests anymore? Well, they're, they're, it's funny because they're at Aldi on special for $3.99 for a pack of 10. There you go. Yeah. I can that... get you some if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Give them away. Yeah, yeah. I, think they, I think they're all uh, loaded as testing negative anyway. So, yeah. So they yeah. yeah. But that's the thing, right? So you've got all of these policy issues that were created by the government that have made the healthcare system worse and less functional. And where is... Anastasia Palaszczuk on TV every single day coming out going, hey, this is a problem we've identified and this is how we're going to fix it. She used to be on TV well, every day before. All she's done, she's just she did it again today. It's just offering free vaccines. Yeah. She's just put manager cockle for free. What was it? Uh, RSV for free. What's mm-hmm. the other one? They're all just, that's that's her strap. Just spend, spend, yeah. spend. I, I, I did have this feeling. So again, this is, uh, it could be another stretch. This is just my feeling. It's Look, just vibe. explaining that my... It's just, just the vibe of the thing, right? It's the vibe of the thing. After September 11, the financial system and security systems of countries was broken. Right. Okay? And it never went back. Mm-hmm. Okay? The, like, I still now, I'm not allowed to deal with $10,000 worth of cash without yeah. signing an anti-money laundering or counter-terrorism form. Okay? Yeah. I, I, don't, I can't see anywhere but that has changed any money laundering or, or terrorism. I think it just lets the people that were always going to terrorize and launder money just do it. And you know it hasn't changed now, because the big banks have been done even recently for just breaking those yeah. rules willy-nilly to send money to terrorists overseas. Yeah. So since COVID, the medical system is now broken. And yeah. do, you know another, do you know another sign how I can tell it's broken? Yeah. It's because I hear from the big end of town that everyone is trying to build medical centers yeah because ones. they are making mega money yeah. mega money so no one can see it. now it sounds like it's a good thing right it sounds like oh we want more medical centers it sounds like you need access to more medical centers mm-hmm. but that's not a that's not a healthy nation is it no absolutely not that's, not, posted, a, that's not a good sign i posted a clip on the vk bros the other day with this guy who was talking about how off the record he'd spoken to all these doctors and surgeons and they, he was saying like this is in America but everything from there flows down here generally um, with all the investment in you know obesity medications or antidepressants or all these things not one of these interventions has ever made the problem better it actually makes the problem worse and you've got similar over over there with all of these uh, pediatric obesity centers which are being built all around the country because their projections show that obesity is going to continue to increase going into the future, not decrease. So you're right. It's like, if you're investing in private medical establishments in Australia, things don't look good for the future because these are smart people. They don't invest in things that they're going to lose money on. So they know what's coming. And it's just going to be... Just funny, I spoke to some people during the week 
we're talking about that aspartame study. Yeah. And basically it was like, you, you know, the, the story is the WHO put out a thing calling the, the artificial sweetener aspartame a uh, stage level three carcinogenic or something. Mm-hmm. And they were, do, they, they were filming some content to talk about how you don't need to worry about it. I actually then went and read the study and yeah, we shouldn't be worried about it because the, the, the dosage that they want you, that affects you, no human being can consume that much. Yeah. Okay? But when I was talking to them after Lizzo I read can. the study, yeah, yeah. Um, when I was talking to them after, I said, but you know the thing, the alarming thing for me is that the genius of this study is that we're now in a situation where we are arguing between what Coke product is better, mm-hmm. Coke or Coke Zero. That's right. Not and no it's very Coke, similar. Coke or Coke Zero. Yeah. It's yeah. just Coke or Coke, Coke Zero. Coke right. or Coke Zero. Yeah. It's also very similar to the argument being used on the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So we're, we that people will still claim <clears throat> the vaccines saved millions of people, right? Now they are what they're meaning is it saved millions of people from dying of COVID. Mm. What it looks like now is that millions more people died from other things that are associated with the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So in a way, their argument's right. So you have, but if you take me... a step out. If you zoom out and go, okay, but what was the what was the end overarching result? result? The mm-hmm. end result is more people died because mm-hmm. we've got this excess death, which is out of control. No one's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting how easy it is to pick and choose the argument that you want to have mm-hmm. to make you right, even though you are categorically wrong. Absolutely, and the only reason why they're doing it is for money. At the end of the day. You've just you've segued me perfectly into the the next subject because so last night I listened to this Senate education uh, session. It went for two and a half hours where Australian senators were able to ask questions to executives from Pfizer, Moderna, and also from the TGA. Pfizer and Moderna appeared remotely, which is very frustrating, and the TGA appeared in person. Now I'm not going to go through all of it because. As you can expect, it was the same characters who actually cared about this thing who were asking all the questions. So you had um, Senator Jared Rennick, you had Alex Antich, you had Matt Canavan, uh, Malcolm Roberts was a big one, uh, Pauline Hanson asked a few, there's a few Labour people in there that I didn't really know, and to be frank, they basically tried to ask questions to help them look better. But you just said something really interesting there about... Um, like basically making assumptions with data to support your argument because all three of the uh, parties were asked for an opening statement. So Pfizer went first. The majority of the information I'll go through is from the Pfizer one. But what you brought up actually reminded me of something that happened with Moderna. So in Moderna's opening statement, they claimed that it has been proven that vaccines around the world now not there specifically but all covid vaccines have prevented 20 million deaths worldwide that's their claim okay what i found fascinating was one of the questions that they asked pfizer was 
why why does the why do the mRNA vaccines cause myo and pericarditis? Do you know what the mechanism is? And um, essentially, Pfizer and Moderna they played the question off in the exact same way. They say, you know, they basically go, it's safe and effective, and we did everything that the regulators asked us for, and you know anything in regards to that, you're gonna to have to refer to the regulator. Like that's pretty much the answer on all that stuff. But what was fascinating was they asked the chief scientist from Moderna what the adverse event rate was from their vaccines. And he goes, oh, I, I don't know. I don't have that information in front of me. I can't remember who's asking the question. It might have been Rennick. And so he goes, so what you're saying is you're the chief scientist of Moderna and you don't even know what the adverse event uh, ratio is for your product. Oh, look, you know, we, we can we can take that on notice and we can get back to That's you. the only two figures you need. That's right. That's the only two figures you need to know to, that. How many are saved and how many are killed. Yeah, so exactly. So this is the thing. How can they claim to have saved 20 million lives worldwide if they don't even know what their adverse event rate is? Yeah. You yeah, just can't totally. do it. But again, that basically but, just blew over. But it's because they don't have to look at it and no one demands people look at it when i tell when i talk to people on the street about this they look at me like i've got two heads when i mention excess deaths yeah because the the marketing has done such a good job of saying no it saved people from COVID. it saved right. people from COVID. it yeah. saved people from but COVID. what was the cost but at what cost yeah. yeah but they they don't even look at it and and then they'll say they'll reply with oh it could be anything yeah it could be anything let's yeah. look just think about the Avengers when Thanos is trying to kill 50% of the population of the universe to because otherwise people will starve. What's the end result? Well, the people who are left will thrive because there is more land and more food and everyone will be fine. But what was the cost? You killed 50% of the galaxy. Um, so I'll go through this. There was some interesting stuff that came out of it. But some of the things that I thought were pretty interesting. For a start, both Pfizer and Moderna, whenever anyone asks them any questions about studies that have come out studying adverse events for their products, all of them claimed to not have the document in front of them and to have no knowledge of the document. Hmm. And then they would go, they would try to defend themselves on those subjects by quoting their own phase three trial data. And all the senators are like, do you not have any updated data since then? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've got this report. We've got this report. Okay, so what are the numbers? Oh, well, I don't have them in front of me. So there was a lot of frustration from the senators because they were like, literally, you guys know exactly what you were being brought here to speak about today. And now you're claiming to have never read any of the studies about your products that are out there in prestigious journals like Vaccine or Nature or whatever. Um a few points I found interesting from the Pfizer one. Uh, Canavan started out by asking them whether or not the vaccine reduces transmission or was ever tested to on its reduction of transmission. And they gave a very sciencey way of saying that the, the line was something along the lines of the primary um, goal of vaccination is to protect the user from infection, serious illness and death. And they just keep going back to that line. So they avoid the transmission thing. And then Canavan goes, okay, so you're saying, you're basically saying no. And they're like, I didn't say that. And it's like, no, but you're avoiding the question. So I'm, I'm taking your answer as no. So then he brought up multiple tweets from Pfizer CEO, Albert Baller, 
where he was saying things early on in the vaccine rollout like our up-to-date studies have shown that the vaccine is like 100% effective at preventing transmission. And they're like, do you retract that statement? And then they would just go straight back to the same line, straight back to the same line. Very, very frustrating. So you didn't really get a real answer. But essentially, what, what we all took out of it in the hearing was that these guys know that they never tested whether or not it would stop transmission and they know it doesn't stop transmission. And, and they also know that not, all of that's irrelevant because they're going to get away with it anyway. That's right. Um, what was also interesting, uh, <coughs> they were asked how long the protection was supposed to last. And Rennick was like, reason why we ask is because in 2022, with almost 95% of the adult population vaccinated, we had 10 million cases of COVID, which is almost half the country. <laughs> So they claimed that in their rigorous testing that it was shown that vaccine protection was still strong after six months. And then Reddit goes, but that flies in the face of the TGA non-clinical report, which said that the um, antibodies and T memory T cells waned after 35 days in animal studies. So where is your data on that? Oh, well, we provide all the information to the regulator. So they just fob it off to the regulator again. P.S. They pay for the regulator. Yeah. That was another question that was brought up. Um, Canavan tried to ask them uh, how much funding Pfizer pays the TGA per annum, and they took that question on notice. So all these questions on notice are supposed to be back by my birthday, the 17th of August. Also happens to be the three-year anniversary of the VK Bros podcast starting, so hey. stay tuned for that day. Um, one thing that was fascinating was both the Pfizer and Moderna executives rejected the idea that mandates were forced on people in Australia. Yeah, you heard that. So they were like, so, so the quest, the senators were saying, um, mandates were brought in to our country based on the information that your companies provided to our government and you forced Australians to take this vaccine without knowing of all the side effects and the fact that it's essentially not preventing the disease like you said it would and they literally just sat there and were like um i don't believe anyone was forced to take the vaccine and the question got asked about five different times in five different ways but do you know do you know how they can absolve themselves from that well Use the form that everyone signs when they go and get it the first line i, yeah. I got someone to send me a photo yeah and the first line is it is your choice to get this vaccine yeah that's exactly. they made you sign that but as they say too they're like look mandates are nothing to do with us that's for governments and regulators to decide so that's their that was their get out for that and, and he, to be fair yeah they they should it should that's a government yeah, problem absolutely I get that. uh he was one of the most interesting things, which I feel sailed through to the keeper and didn't get pushed on enough. They got, so they asked them whether or not Pfizer Australia employees had a vaccine mandate and they did. And that is still present now. But then the follow-up question was asking why Pfizer Australia employees were vaccinated with specific batches that were Ooh. sent to Australia that were not tested by the TGA. And all they said in response to it was, uh, we brought over our own batches, so we weren't removing any doses from the government's allocation. But they didn't address the fact that the TGA never tested them, and no one asked the TGA why they didn't test them. 
That really remember, frustrated. Remember who else said that? Do you remember who else said that? Who? Baller. Baller said that. Right. Remember when he was asked in the very early days have you been vaccinated yet? And he said, No, I haven't because I yeah, don't want to I'm take not a frontline worker. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But yeah, ne- he never mentioned about them not testing, mm. like the TGA not testing it. Is there any way, like, do we, because I haven't heard that before, is there a way that we can find out? Uh, batch numbers because we know that there's a lot of uh, effort going into the comparison between batch numbers and adverse events yeah well look we've run through it on the show before there's threads that are online where um like Jeeky leaks has looked into this and they've got threads up showing which batches were the death batches and which batches were the ones allocated for pfizer australia employees you can see the batch numbers and everything and yeah oh i didn't know that sorry i I didn't know that it had been done for we've literally covered it on here but it was like 12 months ago because that's how long right. people have known about this. Um, so yeah, look, at the end of the day, very, very frustrating hearing to listen to um, because they just they just dodged everything, basically. Um, what will be interesting, they did ask, they, they, all three of them took a lot of questions on notice. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they actually come back with answers to the questions. And a lot of them were in regard to was there any communication between, say, Pfizer and the government in regards to installing mandates? Like, and, and was there any information there? Like, did Pfizer pressure the governments into doing vaccine mandates? And they claim no, but they also said they would come back on notice if there was any um, consultation there. Same as with the team. I bet you, I know what they're going to find. They will find eventually there will be emails lobbying the government saying that we're not getting the units that we need sold. So you need to take more extreme measures. We know that in some jurisdictions, uh, lockdowns have been an effective way to up yeah, the rate. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm sure that will come out. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But look, at the end of the day, like the whole reason why we still keep following this story is that this will eventually go down in history as one of the biggest uh, medical malpractice scams ever perpetrated yep. on the Australian people. Yep. And it's funny, I was watching I was watching 300 this morning because that's what I do when I feel sick is I sit on the couch and watch a bunch of jack dudes go and fight to the death because <laughs> it makes me feel better. And as a part of the movie, and I can't remember the exact quote, but as a part of the movie, the, the initial fighting has started and Xerxes, the bad guy, requests an audience with Leonidas the king. And he offers him a deal. And the deal is basically, all you have to do is kneel and pledge your and Sparta's allegiance to the Persian Empire. And you'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams. And, you know, promise them everything in the world. And he rejects the offer. And he says something snappy like, you know, see, the problem is all that morning spent killing all of your forces has left a nasty cramp in my leg. So kneeling's going to be a problem for me. And... Then Xerxes goes on this this tirade, and I found it really, really interesting in, in regards to what's happening at the moment with things like censorship and stuff like that, because he goes on this tirade about how he will make sure that Sp- like Sparta is forgotten, that all of your scholars will have their eyes and tongues ripped out, that every pa- page of parchment will, parchment will be burned, that you know Sparta will be lost into the ages, everyone will forget you, you will not exist. Yeah. And then Leonidas says something along the lines of, history will know that free men stood against a tyrant 
and history uh, and and before this is all over even a god king can bleed yeah 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 and i like yeah. that's that's that gets me so amped, dude. Me too. But that's what we're doing. Yeah. We are free men. We stood against yeah. a tyrannical regime because that's what it was. That's what yeah. the the COVID regime was. Tyranny. That's that's the definition of tyranny, what they did. But we were free yeah. men. We stood against tyrants. And we're still here. And look, we might end up going down with a whole bunch of hours in our backs at some stage. But history will know hopefully unless youtube deletes all of our shit and rumble has to delete all of our shit and the canadian government uh, so every other government deletes news like canada did on social media and see they're trying hard to xerxes it up and you know remove all of this information but people are very very resilient people are very very smart and history will know that all around the world free men stood against tyrants and we will do it again next time too mm. and on that note Let's leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us, guys. See you next week.